0: Well, good evening. You guys doing okay? I was looking around this room, uh, and we've got some really great guys in this room. This is a good group, and one of the reasons I know it's a good group is because it's 6.30 in the evening. You know, you've, most of you put in a full days of wor- you know, work. You could easily be going home, unwinding right now, putting on the Olympics, but you, know, you chose to be here. And that says a lot. It says a lot that you'd be here, that you'd be wanting to hear from God's word, receive from him to be around other men, to sharpen and grow in your faith. And so, so glad you're here. And if you're a little bit tired, don't worry, I'm with you. Uh, this morning we have Ironman AM, so I spoke already once today at 6.30. And anytime time I have to get up that early, I always set multiple alarms, you know, because I'm a little bit nervous that I'm gonna oversleep and miss it. Uh, and so then I really, you don't really quite get sleep when you're worried about an alarm. And, uh, you know, most men in the mornings, they like to wake up to, you know, the smell of coffee or um, bacon or something like that. For me, in the season of life I'm in, I heard my little kindergartner, uh, she ran into our room, jumped in bed with us, and she put her cold feet on my back um, at about 3.30 this morning. And so the cold feet on the back, there's no sleep after that. There's no recovering from that. So I have been up since 3.30, so if I say something that doesn't make sense, uh, just give me a little bit of grace, okay? Because I'm really grateful that I could be here with you this morning, I'm ex- or this afternoon, see, see, it's already started, because uh, I, I really believe that, that God is going to speak uh, and uh, I, it's not because of anything I've done, but it's all because of who he is, and I take these opportunities, um, I, I hold them with heavily, you know, because I don't take them for granted. This is uh, a, a process that God's taken me through, and if any of you have heard any of my story and, and what I've been through the last couple of years, it's been really difficult. Uh, I've been in a valley the last couple of years, I've gone through some things And so, just to be here with you being able to speak, it's incredibly humbling. And I do believe that God wants to use some of the experience, some of the things that I've been through to help give that away to each of you to help uh, all of us be challenged and grow. And so, uh, the the question that we're gonna work to answer tonight is one of the most difficult questions that you could ever ask. Uh, And that question is why? Why? Why God this valley? God, why did you call me to climb this mountain? God, why do I have to go through this? Why did this have to happen? If if you've been walking with the Lord or you've lived long enough on this earth, you've asked that question, why? Why God, why? And the title of the message is Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good Guys? And and we're gonna look at that uh, tonight. Why do bad things happen to good guys? And I'm not talking about uh, bad things that happen in result of poor decisions see a lot of times we like to you know blame the devil for something that 's actually another d word it's it 's poor decisions you know that uh, or what caused this this trial in, in our lives? You know, if, if if you're you know complaining about the fact that at one point you went bankrupt, uh, I get it. That's a that's a horrible season to go through. But if it's because you lived above your means and you had bad business practices, well, that's due to a poor decision. Um, you know, there's all kinds of poor decisions that we can make, but I'm talking about, when I say good guys, I'm talking about guys who genuinely love the Lord, that have surrendered their life to him, that are trying to follow him, be good husbands, good fathers, good friends, and something happens in their life that's completely out of your control, and because of it, there's a storm, something takes place, and you go through a difficult time. Why do those bad things happen to good guys? And there's Anytime we're looking to answer a question like this, there's no better place to get uh, answers to life's most difficult questions than the Bible. If you're taking notes, you can fill that in. There's really no better place to get the answers to life's most difficult questions than the Bible. And our central passage of scripture is gonna be in Acts chapter 27. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, but while you're there, I, I want us to to look at what some of the other men of God have, have said when questioning God with why. I did a word study. The word why appears over 600 times throughout the Bible. It's asked multiple times. Moses asked God the question, why the wilderness? You know, Gideon, uh, he was saying, why, you know, is this happening? You look here, um, and, and these certain passages that we're going to look at in Job chapter 7, uh, Job is asking God, why? Why is he going through this? Job has gone through intense suffering. He's lost a lot. Uh, he's lost his family. He's lost all of, his, uh, you know, all of his livestock, all of his wealth, everything he owns. Um, he's lost his health, and he's just reduced to this seemingly nothingness. And this is what Job says when he's struggling. We see this in Job chapter 7, verse 19. He says, Why? Why won't you leave me alone, at least long enough for me to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Some of you felt this way. You know, you're, you're crying out in the night, why God, and, and you're looking for a solution. You're looking for an answer, but you don't, you don't feel it. You don't get that relief that you're looking for. That's where Job is at. Or this, or this, and David says in Psalms chapter 10, he's feeling that same way. He says, oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? In Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Why? And you could say, well, these are imperfect men asking God this question, why? But even Jesus, who was perfect, said, why? Why, God? It's not unholy, it's not unfaithful to ask God the question why. He can absolutely handle it. And if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever been through something that has caused you to ask God the question why, don't feel shame for that. Because when we're struggling that when we're wrestling with that, that's how God really comes in and begins to reveal himself in our most difficult times. So we're in Acts chapter 27, like I said that's our central passage. And the first thing is, we, we all experience storms. If you're in this life and you have a pulse in this room, you're not exempt, you're going to experience storms. So we will experience storms. And what we're gonna look at here is the Apostle Paul, remember, he, this isn't anything that he did wrong, he didn't make a poor decision, he was following Christ, following uh, this missionary journey that Christ had laid out for him, that God had laid out for him and he's imprisoned, and we find him in chapter 27 on on a ship uh, with other prisoners, and they're taking him to Rome, to Italy. Now, Rome is this great platform for Paul. This is a promise, the destination that was on Paul's heart. He was to be God's great spokesperson, and in Rome, in the central most powerful nation in the world, he was gonna do this great thing. But on the journey, he experiences some trouble. And we begin reading that in verse 20. It says, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Now, this wasn't just a, a rainstorm with some wind trouble. Uh, this, is a, this is a horrible storm. I want you to imagine being stuck out on the ocean with giant, powerful waves, and it becomes so difficult to navigate that you, because you can't see light. You can't see the sun. You can't see the stars. And you're disoriented. And, and it goes on to say that no one had eaten for a long time. Provision seems to be running out. Desperation begins to set in. And some of you guys know what this feels like. You've been in a similar storm where you feel like you can't see the light where you feel like you don't know where you're going, where you're disoriented, or you don't know where to go, you don't know how to navigate the tough waters that you're in, and maybe you feel like your provision's running out, that you're lacking something, that at any time this whole thing could fall apart, and where would you be left? So let's continue reading. It says this. No one eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. Now, I want you to make note of this. Paul is a little bit frustrated here. Can you he, can he sense it? I mean, he says in this, men, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. And if you back up earlier in that chapter, Paul warns them, listen, This trip is not gonna go well. I'm telling you that right now. We shouldn't get on this boat, we should not do this. It's not gonna go well for us if we do this. But they ignored his warnings. And now he's suffering because of it. They're stuck in the middle of the storm because of someone else's bad decisions. And the reason I stop and I highlight that is because God will use other people's bad decisions to get you to your destiny. It's true. I know a lot of times when, when someone does something against you or they cause something horrible to happen in your life, bitterness can set in. And we can begin to shame and blame the other person for our problems, our mistakes, what we're going through. And yes, people have influence and they can absolutely do things to damage you and hurt you. But those things can be viewed not as a setback, but for, as a set up for what God is going to do in your life. We can't just sit around blaming everyone. We have to move forward. And, and that's what we see here with Paul. Is He's moving forward. He's not gonna stop in the blame. He's, he's gonna move forward from this. So let's, let's look here. It says, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Even though the ship will go down, For last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you, so take courage. For I believe, God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Now another thing I think we should highlight here is that boat in the middle of a storm was better because Paul was on it. Wouldn't you agree? And in life, guys, when we go through difficult times, when we're in those storms of life, we need Pauls on our boat. We need men of God who can speak into our lives, who can hear from God, who can help calm that storm in your life. And a lot of you, as I look around, are those types of guys. You're you're a Paul-like person. You've been through some things. You love the Lord, you love God, and you could help someone else. So it's good to be that person in the boat, are you that type of person, that it's good to have you uh, in, your boat, in, in, in that person's boat? Uh, or, if you're someone that's suffering right now, uh, that needs something, look around this room, there's guys that would love to encourage you, that, that would go to God on your behalf and pray for you and speak life into you, and, and help you through the storm that you're in. So we see here that you know he's saying, listen, God is, you know, not. There's, we're going to lose some things. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to shipwreck. The ship is still going to go down, but we're not going to lose what's most important. And in the midst of all this, I think one of the things we have to realize is God didn't give Paul a list of reasons, did he? When, when all this is going on, Paul could have went into the prayer closet of that ship or wherever he was there, or he met with the angel and he could have said, all right, God, why? Why the storm? And God could have given him a list of reasons of why this storm is happening, but that's not what we see. Instead, we, we're, we're, Paul is given a revelation, a revelation of, of who God is in the midst of the storm. And, and that's what we need anytime we're going through something. You see, revelation is more powerful than reason. You don't always need a reason. What you need is a revelation. And the reason is, is, And many times what God will do is he'll he'll create a situation for a revelation. This is what God does. I'm gonna explain it all. But God will create a situation for a revelation. Uh, Think about it in this way. He's an expert at this. Lazarus had to die. And Jesus loved Lazarus. But when Lazarus dies and the people come to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm glad it happened. He actually says, I'm glad that Lazarus died. And how can Jesus say that? Because at the time, they, they saw Jesus as healer, but they needed a revelation. Now we have this situation that they need a revelation of who Jesus is, and they needed to know Jesus as the Resurrector of life, the one who can resurrect life, and that's something that you and I both need to know. So God, throughout the Bible, is always creating a situation for a revelation of who he is, because in the moments when you're in the valley, You don't always need a reason. If we're always looking for a reason, we'll miss out on the revelation. What we need to hear is that God's saying, listen, you still belong to me. You're still my son. I still love you. I'm for you. These are the most important things that we can hear God say in the valley. Now, my kids are young. They're all under the age of eight. And all of them have this issue Uh, right now that we're struggling with. Uh, My son, most of all, the eight-year-old. But when I ask him to do something, many times his response is, why? Why, dad? Son, I need you to go clean your room. Why? (laughs) Some of you have heard this, right? Um, and, And then one time I remember he said, listen, you know, I'm not the type of person that can just do something without a reason. You know, Dad, I need you to explain to me, why why are we doing this? Why? Why, Dad? And in those moments, (laughs) I I try to contain myself, but I, I wanna say, son, you don't need a reason, you need a revelation of who your dad is. You need a revelation that I'm bigger than you, I know more, that I'm for you, not against you. I understand, son, that if you can submit to me now, that you'll have an easier time of submitting to your Heavenly Father in the future. You don't need a reason for what I ask you to do. You need a revelation of who your dad is. I think so many times it can be that way for each of us. You see, revelation is more powerful than reason. It's in the valley that we remember who God is and we hear God say things and we begin to speak, You know, God, I know you're good, I know you do good, You know, I know that you're with me, I know he's with me, that he knows me, that he's for me, that he's not against me, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. My God is there in the valley. And that's the revelation that we need if we're ever gonna make it through whatever is happening in our lives. If we try to operate by reason what will happen, and I know this from experience, is some days you're gonna be up, and then other days down, and then up and down, and up and down. And that's an issue. We can't have that, but when we have a revelation, we're able to overcome whatever the enemy's throwing our way, can't fight the enemy with a reason, you need a revelation of who God is. And that's what stabilizes us, that's what keeps us sustained in those dark times. If we stay stuck in the reason, we'll miss the revelation. So we'll continue to read and work our way through this passage. You know, now Paul, you know, told them, listen, we're, we're not gonna die, but we have to run ashore. The ship has to wreck. That has to happen. You see, faith doesn't keep you from running ashore. If your faith doesn't prevent you from washing up on the shore, it had to happen. It had to happen to where they would run ashore. But the good news is opportunity, comes from adversity. Opportunity comes from adversity. We look here in 28.1, it says, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. Now to me, this is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to Paul. I hate snakes. Have you ever seen a snake latch onto something or a hand? It's not a good, it's not a good thing. And and I think in this moment, obviously I'm joking, but in this moment, I believe that this is just, you know, insult to injury, isn't it? I want to empathize with Paul here, okay? Because we can hear the words like he was shipwrecked and and we can, we can kind of gloss over that a little bit. They're in a boat. First off, he's imprisoned, okay? He didn't do anything wrong. He's, he's out sharing the gospel and he's imprisoned. So he's falsely imprisoned on a boat with other prisoners. It's raining. They haven't seen the light in days. Food is running out. The ship wrecks. He falls into the cold ocean like daggers all over his body. He's shivering. He's cold and he's washed up on a shore of an unfamiliar, uncertain place, Malta. Who's heard of Malta? If you looked at it on a Bible map, it's like tiny. You know, this is, this is not a place that's well-known. There's islanders there, and so he's shivering and cold. He's finally trying to get warmed up in the fire, and then all of a sudden, a snake comes out and bites him on the hand. How many of you ever felt like that's been you? Cold, shivering, uncertain in an unfamiliar place. A place like Malta. Where's your Malta? What's that look like for you? I've told you guys a story that a couple of years ago, I packed up my family and I moved out west to go plant a church and it started off great, beautiful place, new experiences, new people, passionate, building the church. And then all of a sudden, that dream turned into a nightmare. And we ended up having to leave that church, and we lost all of our money. Um, We didn't have a dime to our name. I was unhealthy. Uh, My marriage was under strain. The enemy was doing everything he could to tear us apart. Uh, We had to move in with family, my in-laws, which you never want to do, right, when you have a family of your own. And... It was a tough season for us. And that was kind of the center storm, right? Ground zero. But then there was just other experiences that we'd go through that were still like Malta where we would crash into. And for me, a lot of times it would turn into the different jobs that I had. I couldn't get a job back in ministry. I was unhealthy, so I just had to do whatever I could to make money. And so I took advantage of every opportunity that was in front of me. Uh, but I did get a job at this awesome ministry uh, some of you know it, it's pretty well known. It's called uh, Uber. Anybody heard of Uber? Yeah, I, I became an Uber driver. And I could, I could tell you a lot of very funny, very interesting stories from my time Ubering. Um, but one sticks out in mind uh, I could tell. Uh, one morning I went out, I was in the Frisco area, and I went to a hotel and I picked up a girl who walked out to the car and she had high heels in her hands and you could tell she was hungover you could tell she was upset and she got in the back of my car and i just said good morning you know how, how are you doing and she said horrible she began to tell me you know i was at this party and i went to this hotel with this guy and I can't believe i did this again and when i woke up he was gone and she was just was filled with regret and you know at first i just didn't know what to say you know I, I'm an Uber driver at the time, you know, I'm like, what What do you, what do you say? And uh, I just began, my, my, my heart was just grieving for her. And, and so I, I ended up, I, I can't tell you exactly what I told her, you know, what I told her, but I ended up saying something along the lines of, listen, Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He'll take all this and he can turn it into something beautiful. Um, and you, you need to you know, surrender your life to him. And and I remember uh, asking her if I could pray with her. And she let me pray with her. And that was a ministry moment that that we had together. Um, and, And Malta can be like that, you know. Malta can be a place of opportunity that comes out of adversity. And it's not always what we're looking for. You know, Malta is that place that you didn't plan on staying. You know, it's that season you didn't plan on experiencing. You know, this is the layoff that you didn't see coming. It's the relationship that you didn't see ending. It's that emotional place you never thought you would experience. You saw other people get sick, but you never thought you'd be the one that would get that particular diagnosis. You never thought you'd be the one walking through the valley that you're in right now. But opportunity comes from adversity, and we're gonna see that here but so we have, he has this snake latched onto his hand. That's where we're at, he has a snake latched onto his hand and look what it says, it says, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. How many of you know you, you really can't take too much of what people say into consideration? People are gonna say all kinds of stuff, especially with the, when you're in the valley. You'll hear things like, man, he must have done something. He must be outside of the will of God. He, he must not have the faith that you know, we thought he had. You know, it, there's something going on there. We don't, we don't know what it is, but you know, he must have done something. People love to criticize, and Satan loves to use others to help you know, bring you down, especially when you're in the valley. And look how they, they do it here. I, I, this stood out to me, and, and I feel like it's, it's perfect for what we're talking about. Listen, listen to what, how they describe Paul. What do they call him? A murderer. Now, I believe that they said that, but I believe it was much more than that. That was the enemy speaking through them. Because what do we know about Paul's past? If you've you know, studied the Bible or you've been in church for a long time, you know that Paul used to murder Christians. That's who he was. That's who he used to be. That was his former life. He would murder Christians. And so I don't think it's any mistake that they would say, oh, he must be a murderer. And I don't know what was going on in Paul's heart and his mind, but I know if it was me, I begin to wonder and question did I do something? I know I did in my journey. Was it me? Did, did I do something, God? Is that why I'm going through this? But how many of you guys know, listen, your past does not define you. Who you were before you knew Christ is not who you are today. And sometimes we just need that revelation so that we can battle those thoughts, those ideas. When someone tries to throw a label on you that you can say, listen, that's who I used to be, that's not who I am now, that's not why this snake bit my hand, is because of my past. And look what Paul does. I love this. Verse five, he says, but Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. Sometimes you just have to shake it off. That's what he did. That's what we have to do. It says this, the the people, you know, waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a God. How quickly They'll change their minds, right? One minute, Hosanna, next minute, crucify him, right? This is people, this is how they think. You can't allow that to have weight in your life. Your response, our response cannot be to people. And so we see this happening within Paul, and Paul has has this moment where he can really choose to become bitter and miserable Paul was bit, but he was not bitter. And when we face adversity, we, both, we, we all have a choice, either misery or mission. In verse seven, it says this, near the shore where we had landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything that we need. Now this is the way I envision it happening. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but you know maybe Paul's sitting at dinner at Publius's house. Publius is mentioning, "Hey, listen, you know my dad, he's just..." Really sick. You know, we haven't ever seen him this sick. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, really tough. He's got dysentery, fever. He's got this island bug. A lot of people have it, and, you know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with him. We don't know if he's going to make it or not. And I guarantee in that moment, Paul begins to see and have a revelation of maybe the reason of why they were there and what they were called to do. So he doesn't sit in his misery. He instead sees the mission that's before him, and he says, listen, if if God did what he did in the past in Jerusalem, he can do it here on this island of Malta. And so he gets up, he prays for him, he's healed, and then that creates an opportunity then for the whole island to be healed and know who Jesus is. Our response is way more important than any reason when we choose to accept God's mission over misery, when we walk faithfully, wherever God takes us, he's faithful to create opportunity even in the midst of your deepest, darkest valley. Here's another thought too uh, that I learned in, in the midst of all this is what you've been through, most likely, and I would say, in my case, most certainly, it's not about you. It's not about me. I know that. That this was not, what I went through is, is not about me. It's much more about who God's called me to reach. And him taking time to, to shape and to mold and to equip. And this isn't, the, what, this isn't what I would have chosen. You know, when I started off in ministry, I, I wouldn't have chosen the, the path that I'm on now. Originally, I thought I was living in my dream. But now I look back, and after being through the valley, I wouldn't change anything. This is exactly where I'd wanna be. You look at Joseph's life. You know, he had a Malta-like experience. You know, he was thrown into a pit, pulled out of that pit, thinking, great, I made it out of the pit, but then he was sold into slavery. And because of more lies and more of other people's decision, he went from being a slave to in prison, and when he looks back at his life, when he finally reaches his destination in Genesis fifty twenty, which is a verse I hold near and dear to my heart, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's so important that we see from God's perspective. He has a higher view of what we can see, what we can know. We need to bypass needing reason. We need to get a revelation of who our God is and then he'll take us through the process and many times, maybe, maybe not, you'll be able to see the reason why you're here on this earth. For me, you know, we went from planting a church to losing everything, to wondering why and then getting a revelation of who God is in the valley and then with a fresh perspective, we were able to walk out with a new assignment. And I believe God can do that exact same thing with wherever you're at. He can use you in the valley, he can minister to you in the valley and through you and turn that, that adversity into an opportunity to see him move in a mighty way. A lot of you guys uh, know this already, um, but one of our pastors on staff, one of our um, great men of God who served here a long time, Pastor Fred Dallas, uh, was recently diagnosed with cancer. And this has been tough on our church. This has been tough on a lot of men, probably a lot of men in this room. Uh, I know it's been tough on me, because uh, I love Fred. He's spoken in my life on many, many occasions, and it's just been such a great encouragement, just such a treasure for our church. And the diagnosis wasn't good. You know, when he went to his latest appointment, it was, it was not good, everything they had to say. The outlook wasn't at all what we'd hoped. And as Fred's getting ready to take on a, aggressive chemotherapy, he gets onto Facebook and he writes something that I, I could have started with this and then we'd have been done a whole long, we'd have been done a lot, uh, you know, a lot earlier than we are now, uh, easily, because uh, it, it's really good. And I, I thought it was appropriate for me to share it with you He says this, today I I keep this in mind. The most beautiful people we have, that that we know, are those who uh, have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern for others. Beautiful people do not just happen. Life changes them. Life changes us. God, our heavenly father, never wastes hurt. And he uses them to form, fashion, and shape us for his kingdom's sake and his kingdom's purposes. It's good, isn't it? I think back uh, to a time in in my story that I'm not proud of, that I really don't share a lot, uh, but One night, all that we were going through was really coming to a head uh, between me and my wife, and I came home, and we got into an argument, and I got so frustrated uh, that I did something that I thought I would never do, and that I pray I'd never do again. Uh, I left. I left my kids, I left my wife, I didn't know where I was going. I just got in my car and I just left. I walked away from it. And I drive a ways and I park next to a pond and I kinda kick my seat back and I just feel numb and I'm crying out to God and I'm so frustrated about where we're at and never thought I'd be at this place. And it became such a dark moment that I literally said, God, if, this could be my last breath. I would just, this would be it. You know, I, I'm done. Uh, I wasn't gonna kill myself, but I was thinking, God, if you would just end my story right here, that would be fine with me. And in the darkest pit, God really began to minister to my heart. And just enough, really, to get me back home. I was still in a very desperate place. But I made it back home and, I walk into uh, the living room and my wife greets me there and she just wraps her arms around me and she starts crying and I'm crying and she grabs my hand and she does one of the most godly things that you you could ever do. She just grabs my hand and we get on our knees and we just start praying and I can't remember everything that we prayed but I know God showed up in that moment and he did something in that moment within my marriage that I would have prayed and asked God for, but I never know what it would cost. And there was a bond that was created between us and God, and we experienced God in a way that we had never seen him before. And it was in our moment of brokenness, on our knees before God that he did one of the most powerful works of redemption that he could do in our marriage. And guys, it doesn't matter where you're at, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Our God is a Redeemer who will take that trash. He will turn it into treasure. He will use it, every ounce of it, for His kingdom's purposes, for His kingdom's sake. And in these moments, the question really isn't why, it becomes why not? Why not? if it brings us just one step closer to God and grows us in our relationship with him, then why not? Even if it had to happen, let it happen. So my prayer for each and every one of you is that if you're in the valley right now, you would experience God's goodness. He would strengthen you and encourage you. If you're coming out of the valley and you're in Malta, and you don't know because you're still in an uncertain and unfamiliar place that God would walk alongside of you, that he would go ahead of you and behind you. And for each of us that we could say, God, we got a revelation of who you are. We don't need to know why as long as we know who. And that's you, God. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is an opportunity for a takeaway. I want you just to ask God the question, God, what are you saying to me? God, I pray for every man in this room. I don't know their story, but God, I know you do. I know you see them where they're at. And so God, I pray you strengthen them with might in the inner man, that they could grow deep roots into you That, God, they would have a revelation of your goodness, that they would see you as their provider, as their comforter, as their strength in the wilderness. God, I pray that you would receive glory and honor in all that we do and all that we are for your kingdom's purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.